Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. If you've ever felt like your boss doesn't like you, it may have to do with your generation. If you've gone to your boss for help and they've told you to just figure it out, it's probably not because they don't like you, but because as a Gen Xer, your boss is a member of the figure it out generation. And you as a millennial or Gen Z have a more collaborative approach. This is just one example of the ways generations approach work differently. Understanding generational differences can help us communicate better, improve our relationships, and reduce friction. In this episode, I spoke with Cam Marston, a leading expert on the impact of generational change and its impact on the workplace and marketplace. He breaks down each generation, how they were parented, how they parent, and how they show up in the workplace. It's a fascinating discussion that I know you'll enjoy. Cam, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm happy to be here, Olivia. Thank you very much. I would love it if you could tell me about your background and how you arrived at at what you're doing today. I have been studying the demographic trends that are influencing the workplace and the marketplace for about the past 20 years. And I organize the demographics using the generational labels that so many people are already familiar with. It makes it easier for people to understand. So we look at the behaviors and the attitudes and the the predictable elements of the millennials, of the Gen Xers, of the baby boomers. It all started about, like I said, about 20 years ago when we were doing market research for our clients and began to see uh, through exit surveys, ironically, uh, we were seeing people's behaviors uh, very different than what we had expected and realized we had a generational shift going on here in attitudes around the workplace. So it was uh, this study of these demographics that launched me into this. And for 20 years, we continue to gather new information. In fact, I'm kind of pouring over some of the new data post COVID that's helping me understand people's attitudes uh, around finances and financial services as a result of the pandemic. So that's a part of the information and the research that we do. And then we organize it and deliver it to our clients in a usable way, usually in a workshop, a seminar, a uh, um, presentation of some sort that's designed to educate and get people to become aware of new behaviors that'll make them a little more successful. So just to kind of back up a little bit, maybe you can break down the generations for us, the the birth years, that range, and and the names, the way that we'll refer to them in this conversation. Yeah, there's a lot of people that put these ages and birth years subtly differently, but here's the ones that I find people seem to be most consistent with. And uh, the boomers, let's begin there. 1946 to 1964 is the birth range of the baby boomers today. Most people agree with that, and there's not a lot of debate over those birth years because of the the notable demographic shifts that the baby boomers are uh, representative of. Hmm. Prior to the boomers, so we're starting with the boomers, older than the boomers are a generation that we call the matures. They're a combination of the silent generation, the GI generation, the greatest generation. Many of their characteristics in the workplace are very similar, and which is where our primary study of them began around the workplace. So we keep them as one generation called the matures, 76 years old and older today. 
So we started with the boomers, older than the boomers are the matures, younger than the boomers are Generation X. Born between the years 1965 to 1979, they're about 42 years old to 56 years old today. They're a smaller population comparatively to the baby boomers ahead of them and to the millennials on the other side of them. The millennials uh, born roughly 1980 to 2000, those birth years are less, they're less agreed upon. There's debate over when the begin, millennials begin and end, but it's roughly a 20 year span in there which makes them between 21 and about 41 years old. And then the final generation that we study right now is Gen Z, also known as the iGen, born roughly since 2000 um, and the youngest ones out there. There's not a whole lot of data on them, though that data is beginning to become uh, more apparent as that they are entering the workplace and spending their own money. I call them the iGen, others call them Gen Z. They're the youngest elements of the workplace today. And there's a hypothesis that there's a new generation out there that's still one or two years old and younger that are, you know, they're not making any decisions in the marketplace right yet now. They're still younger, but they're the next generation on the horizon out there. Mm -hmm. So that would be, yeah, my son would fall in that range. Yeah. He may not be calling the shots in the, the workplace, but he's calling the shots at home. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yes, it sounds, your household sounds like mine. Yeah, <laughs> mine, are, mine are Gen Z, uh, all teenagers. We've got four teenagers and uh, there's a lot of communication and direction happening in my household by these four children. And my <laughs> wife and I are struggling to react uh, appropriately. That is so funny. Well, I was yeah. just thinking when you were describing the millennials and how uh, it sounds a little bit kind of squishy those years. And my husband and I are both fall into the millennials category. He's 82. I was uh, 90. But the differences between us feel pretty big, even just that, you know, less than 10 years. So the as we're going along, the generations are sort of shrinking or the differences are becoming greater depending on like the decade you were born. Does that make sense? I think what you're describing there are life stages. Mm -hmm. So let's describe those because I don't, in my opinion, you can't have a generational conversation without some way acknowledging the life stages that each generation is going through. And right now, the millennial generation is going through the most transformative life stages of all the generations out there. Now, in the, now, if we wanted to study the youngest members who are learning to walk and talk, those are big life stages, but that's not what we're talking about here. Mm. So the millennials at, at, uh, are going through life stages of independence, of meet, entering into some seniority in their career. And by independence, I mean, they're members of the millennial generation who are just now getting independent from home. On the other end, the senior members of the millennials, they've entered career seniority, and many of them may have children at this point. Right. And they're all underneath this umbrella of millennial. So life stages are things that people go through where I describe it. They have a clear beginning and end. In other words, you go through it, you know you're about to go through it, you go through it, and on the other side, life looks different. Having children is a big life stage. You know that that one's coming and you can remember the days before children. Becoming independent from home is another one. You know it's coming and you can remember the days before, but on the other side, the world looks different. So with, again, within the millennial generation, you've got this massive group of people undergoing these huge transformative life stages. And what you may be saying there is this generation feels like a bunch of groups under one millennial banner. 
perhaps it's that these this group is going through these different life stages mm -hmm. all under the millennial banner mm -hmm. generation x i'm a member of generation x i'm seeing uh, my generation go through something they're not as transformative as the millennial life stages today but empty nesting as their kids are leaving home we're watching the generation xers go through this life stage again it's something that they knew was coming they go through it and they remember the days prior to it in other words i'm an empty nester now but i remember when the house was full of kids so it's a life stage that changes your outlook and the way you engage it doesn't change your generation it changes your outlook right no, that makes sense. And the only other thing that I would add to that is just the influence of technology. And that is one thing that I do notice just anecdotally between my husband and I is I had a cell phone in high school, for instance, and then in college. And my husband can remember the days when he never had a cell phone. And sure. I grew up in a different, you know, with a different relationship to the internet. And so I find that that tends to be a difference between us in how much we're on our phone, our use of social media, that kind of thing, how many, how many pictures we take. And it's like I could go on and on, but. I, you've got a good point there. And I was on vacation with my two oldest children so that we were able to, the three of us were able to get away for some, a work event of mine. Mm. But I looked at it as a vacation where I could leave the cell phone behind for big periods of the day. I think their definition of vacation is they can look at their cell phone without being interrupted all day long. So interesting. <laughs> so it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's a completely opposite view of this tool or, you know, is it a tool or a toy? It's both. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to get away from it, whereas they were thinking, hey, this is great. I don't have a teacher telling me to put it away. My parents are telling me to, my parents aren't telling me to leave it alone and put it away. My children are both iGen, Gen Z, and right. I'm a Gen Xer, which means there's a generation separating us. And it may be in those, you know, in that three generation gap, there's a whole different view of what technology or the value or the purpose of technology. Yep. Now we're talking about, or already talking about being parents. So I am interested in the parenting differences uh, and the trends, you know, of each generation, specifically, I guess, boomers and Gen X and now obviously millennials. Yeah, parenting trends has a big important role in shaping how each of these generations uh, you could make some grand statements here, but it, but what, what, what I like to focus on is shaping how they show up in the workplace and what their attitude is in the workplace and uh, what the workplace is supposed to be and how you're supposed to be treated. I'm confident that the baby boomers, when they first entered the workplace as young people, were never told to go out and find a good job that made them happy. Hmm. They were told to go get a job. Today, it's not uncommon, and I as a parent say it to my own kids, you need to find a job that fulfills you and makes you happy. And, and that has a lot to do with parenting trends. The boomers were never told that they were special and unique and different from everyone else. That was a parenting trend that began as the boomers became parents. And they began to say it to children, and it's been a part of parenting ever since, is that you say to your children how unique they are, and we draw out their, their ego and their self-esteem, and we try to build these things in them. Well, those parenting trends, and I love them, they're, they're, they're so fun to talk about, beginning with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and the way he looked at the camera at the end of every show and said, there's no one else like you in the world. 
to helicopter parents, to drone parents, to bulldozer parents, to snowplow parents, to bubble wrap parents. These are all parenting trends that every generation of, and these trends, there are multiple trends within a generation. But each of these parents who, who, who kind of participated in these trends in raising their children, none of them did these things hoping ill effects on their children or hoping ill effects on their children's interaction in the workplace. However, there have been some consequences to this. And I'll give you one of the, the, the favorite ones. I'm a Gen Xer, so it's a favorite to me as it's a, related to my generation, is that we, my generation, was a figure it out generation. It's born in the latchkey kid syndrome. You're gonna be home alone as both parents or the single parent household is working. You gotta figure things out until they get home and don't call me at work. I can't take your calls at work. So the Xers figured it out. And today in their workplace, now in positions of leadership, many of them, they still have a figure it out attitude and they'll tell their subordinates, hey, you need to figure it out. I know what you need to do, but you're gonna have to figure it out. I don't have time or the best way to learn something is to figure it out on your own. So this figure it out mantra of the Generation Exodus as a leadership style is a big part of who they are, but it goes very poorly when told to a younger generation. So when the millennial generation or Gen Z is told to figure it out, their interpretation is my boss doesn't like me. If he liked me, he'd help me. He'd give me the answer. If he liked me, he'd show me how to do this. My entire life when I've had a question, somebody that looked and sounded like my boss has been eager and willing to help me do this. And suddenly I step into the workplace and the same looking person is telling me to figure it out. This is not good. I was told to go find a good job that makes me happy. And at this very moment, I'm not happy. <laughs> So I'm not so sure how well this is going to go. And these were born of parenting trends. Like I said, unwittingly, the parents have set in motion attitudes and expectations around the workplace. And it's not until we become aware of what those parenting trends have done to shape each of these different generations that we realize that this attitude that the Xers may have today of what's wrong with kids these days all they want are the answers. They're not willing to do the work to figure it out. Well, there's more to it than that. You're accusing them of being lazy, but their attitude and expectation has been shaped by real events. And once you understand that, you maybe should take a different approach to your figure it out attitude. So I've given you one example. There, there are many of them that again, were set in motion by parenting trends and hand in hand with that are education trends. The millennials were the first generation who were put in pods to learn as children. Hmm. They were circled up in the classroom. Their desks were pushed together front way so that they all faced one another as they learned. They'd turn and watch the board and turn and watch the teacher and they'd turn together and work as projects or they'd sit around in circles together to work as projects. And it's influenced the way this generation learns and wants to share experiences information, is share it face to face. Every other generation older than the millennials learned in rows facing the back of the head of the kid in front of them. And that's the way they expect to learn today. There's a little bit of independence in that, whereas the millennial attitude around learning is often very collaborative. Hmm. Again, small things that happened a long time ago that are still showing up in the workplace today. That's so interesting. And I just had this question for you, because I think about this a lot as a fairly new parent. Do you think that the way that we parent is 
always or almost always a reaction to the way that we were parented. We have a overreaction to the things that we didn't like about the way that we were parented. And then the next generation does, you know, sort of the opposite. I think you could make an argument that parenting trends are a reaction to the way you yourself were parented because you can find flaws. The, the latchkey kid can find flaws in the way he or she was parented. The helicopter child, the child who had helicopter parents can find flaws in that and perhaps overreact. And I think maybe prior to the pandemic and maybe even with time, I could create a hypothesis that prior to 9-11, mm. that that's the way things were done. But those two events have now shaped us beyond a reaction. This is my hypothesis. Have shaped us now beyond a reaction to what we experienced as a child into something new uh, that's being driven by a, not just a reaction, but a fear. Mm. A, a fear that we don't know how to get our arms around. Sure. And you did bring that up earlier. So I wanna know a little bit more about what you're seeing post COVID. There's a lot of data, and, and I, I hesitate to say what I'm about to say because it sounds like a cop-out, but here's the way I feel. There's a lot of data out there, and we just cited some for another client moment ago about financial services and the appeal to financial services as a result of COVID. And surprisingly, in, in the world of financial services, we're seeing the millennials run towards financial professionals, which is not something we'd seen before. But as a result of their wanting to be safe in financially, they're using the professional expertise more so than Generation X. But there's a lot of data out there. I'm not ready to say that that data is cooked yet. I think it's still a little bit too soon to tell. We know this mental instability. Goodness knows we've heard a lot of comments recently about mental health. It was existing prior to COVID, but it's escalated since. Is going to be an issue both realistically, this is now a real issue, and it's getting a lot more attention. And it's not, and, and a lot of the attention is being given to the youth. However, it's not solely the youth. It's everybody's out there on the kind of dealing with it in ways and anxiety and fear and uncertainty in ways that they never have before. We are seeing some people that were isolated, fearing coming out of isolation, just because they've not, they feel getting sick, but they've lost their social skills. Can't remember the, the routine of getting back into things. 9-11 shaped everybody. COVID will shape everybody as well, and it'll shape them permanently. And exactly how, I don't know. So again, I don't think the data is fully cooked. I do know we'll see mental instability as a bigger issue out there. How does that manifest itself? You know, we can draw some awful conclusions on how it may manifest itself. But again, I'm not sure the data's cooked yet. There will people that will be bounced back and be just fine. There will people that'll, that will appear to bounce back but have a whole lot of internal issues and there'll be some people that just choose to stay on the sidelines. And we'll look at them, and I hesitate to say this because I don't want to offend anybody, but like uh, some of the Vietnam veterans that never fully matriculated back into society, they're out there. Not the veterans, but the COVID veterans, let's call them, right. that will never be able to fully matriculate back into society. Oh, it's so interesting. At FEI's summit conference, which is where I first became aware of, of you and the work you're doing, you talked about the communication preferences of the generations. And it reminded me at the time of the love languages. And I don't know if you're familiar with those. 
I've had that reference to me before, and goodness knows I need to read that book. I've had both friends as well as professional colleagues say you need to read this book. It's just lazy that I haven't gotten into that. It's pretty interesting. And it's just, I mean, the reason that I bring it up is because it's it's the sense that the way that we show love or the way that we want to be shown love is not the same for everyone. Yeah. I was reminded of that when you were talking about the communication preferences and the way that we communicate with others is probably the way that we would want to be communicated to, but there are a lot of mismatches in the workplace. So tell me a little bit about that topic and maybe how colleagues across generations can work better together, communicate better with each other. What are some of the things that you've learned along the way? Part of, and this is great. This is absolutely great. Yes, there are generational communication preferences. In fact, I go further and to say that there are workplace preferences and how I choose to engage my work. And they can be drawn out generationally. A Generation Xer tends to prefer to do work these ways and could communicate and interact in the workplace these ways. And that contrasts to the millennial who tend to prefer it this way. The nucleus of it is that I have preferences and my assumption is that you'll share my preferences. This is the way I like to do things. This is the way we get things done. I'm going to assume you're going to like to do them the same way too. And if you don't, I'm going to wonder what's wrong with you. And we heard that. I mean, that's how Generation X got its moniker as slacker, is that the baby boomers looked at Generation X and said, hey, you need to get here early and stay late. And the Xer says, I don't, I don't think so. I can get there on time and leave on time and really bear down during the day and get it all done. And the boomer said, no, that's not the way good work gets done. You get there early, you stay late, you arrive before your boss, you leave after a boss, you guys are slackers. You don't seem to want to work as hard. And the extras went, no, you're misreading these cards. You're misreading the tea leaves. We're getting it all done. In fact, baby boomer, why does it take you so long to get your job done? Good Lord, what are you doing all day? (laughs) So what we have here is two different generations interpreting work differently in the process of work differently. And the goal in that whole exercise that I did with FEI is that once we can understand our own preferences, once I'm clear on what my preferences are, and perhaps once I've gotten some background on where these preferences developed and why they developed, a lot of them having to do with parenting trends, I can become a little bit more amenable or a little bit more flexible with the generations around me to say, they're not doing it wrong, they're doing it differently. And as long as the quality of work is getting done to the expectation of the people who matter, whether it be customers or bosses, whatever, then maybe I shouldn't get so hung up in the processes. In fact, maybe I can become a better leader or a better teammate or a more influential person if I let go of my preferences and let other people's preferences thrive as long as it's getting done to the quality and the expectations of the people that matter. And that's one of the things that once we uncovered these preferences, we began to compare and contrast them. And it always brings up some smiles and some arguments each of us have had in the past around the workplace. But ultimately, yeah, you're right. I'm hung up on the process. The outcome is what I need to be focused on. And if I can focus more on that outcome than the process, as I've said it twice before, as long as it's getting done to the quality that's necessary by the people that matter, then I'm gonna let go of the process and let it get done to the satisfaction of the individual that's doing it. 
And that's where all these generational workplace preferences, communication patterns, et cetera, happen, or, or, or the awareness of them happen. And as I've said, I think the key is awareness of the self. So much of what I teach is awareness of the self. Here's who I am, why I am this way. I can laugh at why I am this way. Uh, I'm not this way because it's better. I'm, I'm this way because it's the way I've always been is what I've been taught. And now that I can, I'm aware of it, I can let it go with the confidence that letting it go is not a sacrifice of quality. It's a sacrifice of convenience, mm. but it's a benefit to my teammates to, for me to sacrifice that. So I'm curious, you, you said that a lot of millennials are now finding themselves in leadership positions and kind of moving up the ranks, but then you have also some millennials joining the, the workforce. But as far as iGen or, or Gen Z goes, what are, because they, a lot of them are graduating around this time, right, I believe, and, and maybe yeah. starting their first jobs. What are their communication preferences? What should people who will soon be working with iGen and Gen Z, what should they know about this incoming generation? I, I think we've touched on it a little bit. We can count on them being communication heavy. I'm technology heavy around communication. We can count on that. And in fact, I think the ones who will in this generation, iGen, who will excel first amongst their peers, uh, I'm talking about in the job, not talking about resume, but in the job, will excel amongst first their peers are the ones who can communicate best interpersonally and that can have uh, that can manage conflict well interpersonally, not via the phone or the email or something like that. So I think we, the senior members of the workplace, need to expect them to be very technology dependent, but it's also incumbent on us to try to tease out the interpersonal part and to teach them the value of that. And they will begin, I believe, and this kind of happened with the millennials, they will begin to see their peers who excel the quickest in the workplace having more interpersonal skills than the others. So one person may have an, ex an exceptional resume and an exceptional skill set. However, he or she is being surpassed by those who communicate best amongst their peers and amongst the leadership generations older than them because those people, it's just kind of natural selection, are given leadership responsibilities, not the ones with the best skill set, but the ones with the best communication skills. So I think we can expect to need to tease out interpersonal with them. I think we can expect to see them want to be heavily dependent upon their technology that's so comfortable to them. I think we're going to have issues around remote workplace. There are jobs that require people to be places to do things, of course. I do a lot of work in healthcare and you cannot work in the emergency room from home. But the jobs that are less dependent about that, there's gonna to have to be uh, compromises drawn about when, where, how the, the work gets done. And I foresee, and this is not unique to me, but I foresee a workplace that is, let's say, uh, Monday and Friday from home, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're gonna make it flexible, but you need to be here between 10 and two every one of those days, sometime between that. So we, because so much productivity and creativity happens in these spontaneous bump-ins in the workplace. There's terms for them, but when you bump into somebody in the hall or you stick your head in their office and say, hey, you got a second? And so much of teamwork is built by these spontaneous conversations. So much of workplace loyalty and satisfaction and uh, 
collegiality is bent, built on bumping into somebody next to the coffee maker and going, man, I cannot figure out how to do this. And they say, oh, I can help you out there. I think employers are realizing that these bump-ins, that these spontaneous connections are important to the creativity as well as the collegiality of the workplace, and there's going to need to be some compromise on when and where the work is done. You mentioned loyalty. Are, are what we hear about millennials, for instance, that millennials jump from job to job, but the earlier generations were more loyal to their companies? First of all, is it true? And second of all, do you see the next generation, iGen, Gen Z, do you think they will be more or less loyal to the organizations that they join? So first answer, is it true? Every generation, and this is gonna ruffle some feathers out there, every generation beginning with the baby boomers job hopped in their youth. Mine did, and the boomers who are the ones today who, who just complain about loyalty, they did it too. Hmm. And they don't like to admit it. I think we all try to remember ourselves the way we wish we were versus the way we really were. And the boomers were job hoppers as well. As long as the youth is being told to go find a good job that makes you happy, there's no reason to expect the job hopping will change. So I don't foresee a more loyal generation coming out of the next one. Now, there is an exception that we spotted post Great Recession, and that is those that tried to enter the workplace in 2008 and 9, and maybe some part of 2010, are an extraordinarily loyal generation because of the difficulty they had finding that job. They're a subset within the millennial generation, and because of the effort it took for them to get that first job, they are hesitant and afraid to leave. Incidentally, those that graduate and enter the job market in a recession lean left ideologically for the rest of their lives. So that recession group is a more loyal group, and they lean left. And that's not a commentary of good and bad. It's just what recessions do to people. And there's always a subgroup within a generation who experience that, who's kind of an anomaly. When it comes to job hopping, there's a subgroup of the millennials who is an anomaly. And we might see an anomaly coming out now. We're kind of in a quasi-recession post-pandemic that will be a part of this loyal group as well. Interesting, because I actually think I uh, fall into that that category, that anomaly that you're talking about. And uh, I've been at FEI for like almost 10 years. So there you go. You're a strange <laughs> freak of nature amongst your generation. <laughs> so interesting. The last thing I want to ask you about, Cam, is the ageist behavior that you think is most prevalent in the office today. And now this doesn't have to necessarily mean during COVID when when we've all been working remotely for a year, maybe before that. What was what do you think is the most kind of like problematic thing that you see between the generations that are working together? Let me let, let me make sure I'm clear. If you would define ageist for me, let me make sure I know how we're using that term. So for me, I'm using it to refer to biased behavior against a, a generation that you know isn't yours. The value of wisdom. Hmm. And it was obviously you can hear this coming from the senior members of the workplace. 
I don't feel my wisdom is being valued. I see younger people than me taking on efforts that I know won't work based on my experience doing this. No one is coming to me to ask me for my wisdom. In fact, when I try to share it with people, I am, I'm not treated rudely, but I can tell that they're not interested and uh, they're not going to listen to my advice. In fact, upcoming later this very week, doing a webinar, not addressing exactly that, but that is the undertone that they've asked me to take, that the senior members of the workplace have wisdom that should be utilized. They have this interesting, this one workplace, and they're not financial services, they're a consumer products company, have a very early retirement age. It's a wonderful benefit for them, and most of them go on to get a second career. But due to that, there's a huge young workforce and the youngest baby boomers don't feel that their wisdom is being valued and it's causing them to leave early as well. So uh, I think, and I've heard this for years prior to the pandemic as well, that wisdom is not being valued. There's something to be said for the wisdom. And a lot of these people will go back and say, I remember during the tech startup days, these tech companies got off to a fast start and then they went to find somebody with wisdom to help them manage what they had created. And uh, we were valued then. Something's happened between now and then where we're not valued as much anymore. So the number one answer is not valuing the wisdom of the senior members of the workplace. And the second one is the reverse, is the senior members of the workplace saying an inability to have a conflict, an inability to have the youth don't know how to have to resolve conflict. And mm. they will they will let it fester. They'll try to solve it uh, electronically versus having a quick conversation to solve this thing. And for that reason, they are not suited to lead or something like that. So interesting. Yeah. We've addressed that a little bit in this conversation is that the senior people have to tease out the interpersonal skills. So those are the two that have come up repeatedly again prior to pandemic. And would you think that those have been exacerbated during the pandemic with with remote work? I think the remote work has accelerated nearly everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think they have been exacerbated. And the, the top, and I and I say this because as we sit here, I get a text message come on my screen from my mother saying, "Would you please come over to my house and help me with my phone?" Oh. So. Um, Imagine the baby boomer who struggles to figure out Zoom through his or her fault. They can they can thrive in an office. They can thrive in a meeting. They can leave a meeting like a champion, but suddenly they're considered irrelevant because they can't quite function on Zoom the way that the younger people feel that they should. It's not intuitive to them. And suddenly their entire value has been diminished by their let's say, incompetence with the technology, again, could be exacerbated. Yeah. And you did bring up earlier some of the social skills that may have been lost while we've been in lockdown and quarantine. I have to think that that will carry into the workplace as people start coming back to the office. I, yeah. I imagine there's going to be hesitancy and some awkwardness probably for for all of the generations. I don't know if any one per- more, you know, so than the others, but. I agree. And I think that's not generational, that's personality. Mm-hmm. And I was at a conference last week. It's one of the first ones I've been to in a long time. Uh, and people were, you could see people who knew each other and hadn't seen each other in a long time walk together to face each other with, with a smile on their face. Camp, so happy to see you. They didn't know exactly how to proceed. 
Right. Do I shake your hand? Do I high five you? Do I elbow bump? We are all vaccinated, uh, but we don't know exactly how to behave here. And it took about a day. And after that day, they were hugging, they were high fiving, they were back into the groove. Those that I witnessed, there may have been some that didn't come to the conference because of that fear. But the ones that were the conference, you have to think they were leaning into getting back. It does feel at this point like if you're vaccinated, there's still fear and it's not really related to covid any longer yeah. it's really like a social yeah. and, and it has to do with the masks too are we wearing masks anymore are we not and i think we have to be really patient with ourselves yeah i agree i heard this 18 months ago dropping balls of grace everywhere we possibly can i found myself at this conference the hotel had a very strict mask policy nevertheless once we were in that conference room for our work the masks came off around the hotel, I got myself, I found myself getting really frustrated. I'm vaccinated. Nearly everybody here claims to be vaccinated, yet you want me to wear my mask. (laughs) My attitude is those most vulnerable need to be looking out for themselves at this point. And that sounds callous, but. Well, it comes back to what you said before, which is that it comes, it does come down to not so much generations, but personality. I'm the same way. I'm anxious to not wear a mask any longer. And I also get frustrated when people are vaccinated and still wanting to wear them. But then, you know, I'm trying to be, as you said, extend some grace, be empathetic. I think for some people, the mask has become a social crutch in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So again, I'm totally hypothesizing. But. Yeah, but I, 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 we, we all have a pretty strong basis for these hypotheses. We live it and we see it and we interact with it and we feel it ourselves. And, you know, I've got a mask in my pocket. I got a bunch in my car because I know at some point I'll need to wear it. Though in my part of the world, the masks have largely been gone. At some point, I'll need to put it back on and I just need to be willing to do so. Exactly. Yeah. Cam, thank you so much for your time today. This was really fascinating. I really enjoyed it. It It's a nice, calm, wonderful, thoughtful conversation. What a treat. Thank you. Thank you. 